Hi, I'm Carrie Boynton. And I'm Mike Sibley. We're the leaders of the James Moore Manufacturing Services team. Today on Moore Manufacturing, we're happy to have Curtis McAllister here. Curtis is the manager of our technology solutions consulting division at James Moore & Company. And we invited Curtis on to talk to us today about a very important topic of data protection, information systems protection, network security, with all the craziness going on in the world today. Uh, you just hear constant news reports of hacking and uh, problems happening around IT systems, data loss. So this is a very, very relevant and important topic. And, you know, on top of things like, you know, pipelines being hacked, we have employees who are working remotely, uh, not only because of the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, we had, you know, sales teams working remotely. And now, of course, we're, we're approaching uh, hurricane season. And, you know, as we get into hurricane season, there's always concerns about, you know, the big one coming through and what happens if. So, you know, let, let's start there. So Curtis, wel welcome to our, our show today. Uh, thanks for joining us. And let's just start off with the hurricane side of things. You know, with, with it coming upon us, how do I make sure my data is protected? My systems are there. How, how can I make sure I can get access? I know I'm asking you, probably a lot of questions all rolled up into one, but you know, really the key thing is I, I need my systems and I need my data. How, what do I do to make sure that I'm protecting that? Mike, that's a, that's a great question. So when we're talking about a disaster like a cyber attack, or we're talking about something like a hurricane, which is very real to, to the Daytona Beach crowd and all of Florida, in fact, what, what we need is we need a system that will let you run independently of your building. And and when I say that, you know, in, in the manufacturing environment, we, we, we can't we can't move our equipment out of the building, but we can move the other information technology, you know, you know, the things that keeps the business running. We can move the sales, we can move the marketing, we can move the payroll out of the building. So we can either do that by implementing a complete hosted solution where everything is just kept in the cloud. Therefore, it, it's not subject to any disaster in one geographic region or what's more common and frankly more affordable is we, we keep your systems mostly in on-premise on and you know in your building but we replicate it to the cloud with a nice solid business continuity solution that way day in and day out you're working like you always do in your building efficiently and when the disaster comes when the bad thing happens regardless what it is we move everything with a few clicks of a button to the cloud, everybody just starts connecting to the cloud, and business can at least continue on in some fashion. Well, you know, I, I so one of the nightmare scenarios I, I hear, I bring this up because I, I've seen it happen before. You know, they, you've got these backups, and the backup doesn't work because nobody's actually tried to use it. And you know, so is is there a process for making sure your backups work? And and testing it every once in a while? I mean, what do you recommend there? Oh, there, there's absolutely a process. And, and, and what, the, what the industry as a whole has, has determined is you should test your backups at least once a month. And, and what that means is, is, is if it's a business continuity solution, you turn it on so you can look at the servers themselves. If it's a traditional backup solution, you restore data from it and make sure the data that you restore is readable and accessible. Um, Something that we like to do is, you know, we, we do that naturally every month, but we also check the backup logs every single day and we make sure that the backups think that they're working. 
And to go a step further, when you look at those logs, you're not just looking for a yes or no, but you're looking for a yes, it worked, and it took the same amount of time last night to back up as it did the night before, and it backed up about the same amount of data within 5 or 6% as it did the night before. Because uh, there's nothing worse than than a backup system that tells you it's working, but something happened and you're missing half your data. You know, we, you know, in, in the years of experience, I've seen that numerous times. So it's very important to to look at those those details of every backup job. If you can't do it daily because you, because you're a small operation, then at least at least look at those reports once a week. Well, and I would think if we are you know, with a hurricane, uh, you know, things like tornadoes and storms that can be damaging can just pop up in an afternoon and, and be uh, a terrible event. But a hurricane, you've generally got a week of yep. notice or longer. So at that point, if nothing else, but, I, you know, I think it sounds like you're saying regardless of hurricanes, other things can happen. You need to be looking at it periodically. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are so many things. I mean, it doesn't have to be a disaster such as a hurricane or even a cyber attack like what just happened to the to the pipeline. You can have a server failure. You could have a sprinkler malfunction. You can have a building fire. Any of these things can can cause your business, if you're not prepared, serious financial burden. So, yeah, all through the year, it needs to be just a regular process to always check your backups. And again, at least once a month, test them and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a position where you don't have the safety net that you thought you had. Uh, and it's been proven that three quarters of the businesses that don't have solid backups after a catastrophe will likely go out of business within five years because the cost to rebuild the data is so expensive. Uh, some data like a sales orders and such, you just cannot replace. So when they're gone, they're gone and you lose that opportunity. That's a great point. So along along those lines of, you, you know, you mentioned sprinkler systems. And of course, in a hurricane, you could have water intrusion, flooding, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So what about our server? What about that equipment that's uh, susceptible? So oftentimes it's on a on a floor, on a rack that's relatively low lying. Is there any suggestions around that area? Yeah, uh, if, if you if you know that your that your equipment, whether it's standard information technology equipment like your servers uh, in your workstations or if it's your operational technology equipment, you know, CNC machines, um, if you know they're in a, in, a, in a lower area that's subject to flooding, you can build barriers with sandbags to help direct the water flow. Um, there, there, there's pumps. What we often do to our more susceptible clients is we will take and cover critical, critical equipment with plastic just before a storm hits. Now that doesn't help you in the event of a sprinkler system and, and, right. and those we just kind of have to deal with when they happen. But if you see the storm coming, you could definitely put in some water barriers, some ways to guide the water the way you want it to go away from your really expensive equipment and cover equipment with, with, with plastic. When you do that, you have to turn them off to, to make sure they don't overheat but that's better than the alternative. Well, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of hacking and ransomware, you know, we're always hearing really scary news stories, big companies getting hacked. How do you prevent those attacks on your system, you know, even as a small to mid-sized company? So it's, the, 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 the beauty of the cybersecurity landscape is whether you're a small company or a big company, you wanna follow a lot of the same processes. First and foremost, yes, you want to educate your people of what to look for. You know, there, there are often telltale signs like a phishing email that that you can train your users fairly efficiently on how to identify and what to do when they see it. 
So, so you train the users, you build processes and policies in place, uh, so so they know what to do when they see them, and they know what to look for, and then you and then you add technology on top of that. After you train the users, make sure you have a good solid firewall in place with a, with advanced threat management. Things like geolocation filtering. You know, a lot of a lot of attacks that we're seeing in the U.S., like the pipeline that we just saw, uh, that attack came from Russia. Well, with, with a proper firewall, we can simply stop all traffic coming from Russia right out the mm. gate, so it never has an opportunity to get to us. Uh, the firewall can have its own antivirus systems separate from your workstations and servers, which gives another layer of of security. We can also prevent uh, malicious software from coming in by preventing access to other locations or inappropriate places. You know, we can stop social media sites, uh, gambling sites, any any range of places that your employees really don't need to go to do their job, but a highly uh, suspect as far as being able to provide attacks into your network, we can simply stop with a firewall. And then, of course, we have the antivirus softwares on your computers. And then we also implement policies in your system, things such as principle of least privilege. If if you have a user that doesn't need access to a set of data, you don't give them access to the data. Along with that, uh, when we're talking about manufacturing specifically, you know, we want to separate out data sets. You know, we want to move your OT stuff onto its own network segment away from your IT stuff. So if if a user does get compromised and ransomware does get in, yeah, you, you, your main server is affected, but your production systems hopefully are not. Mm. And you want to do the same thing with your backups, you know. So so in a, in a manufacturing environment, you may have three major network segments: one for your IT, which your servers and your workstations are on; one year for your production equipment, your OT, your CNC routers, and, and, and your your building equipment is on; and then a completely separate one for your backups. That way they're all they're, they're all protected, and if a hacker gets into one, likely won't touch the other two before you find them. So, I, you mentioned, um, I guess you mentioned production. I guess does manufacturing equipment? I know manufacturing equipment can be, you know, your CNC machines can be connected. Um, are those at risk too if they're connected to a network? Oh, absolutely. It, 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 anything that has network connectivity is at risk. Um, co common guidelines for for that production equipment, you know, don't put it on the internet. It generally doesn't need to be. Separate it from your main production. You know, the users uh, clicking on something or accepting an email they shouldn't is is one of the is one of the easiest way an attacker can get into your network. When that happens, if you have your production equipment, your OT stuff on a separate network, that won't be compromised. Now those those pieces of equipment can can talk to each other. They can, they can have shared controlling computers, um, but, but as long as those are on their own network that that doesn't have internet access, doesn't you know not everybody can access them or walk up to them, then they're going to be safer from you know safer than your actual production network than than your than your IT stuff. So so you really want to look at doing that. We keep mentioning how much of a risk employees you know, opening fraudulent emails and clicking on links can be. I know here at James Moore and Company, we do periodic testing of our employees by sending out fake phishing emails. Do you find that that's the most efficient way to train employees on avoiding, you know, clicking bad links and emails? Or are there other, you know, ways that you can train employees to make sure that they're not doing things that are going to put the company at risk? Anytime you have a, a, 
systematic approach to training, you're going to get better results. Um, what's what's nice about about the solutions like what James Moore is using is it is a very systematic approach. We we provide online training that the users go through and take tests. Then we test the user's knowledge and familiarity by running sample phishing attacks against them, monitoring and logging who clicks on them, and if somebody continuously fails, we send them to remedial training. This is an ongoing process that that makes it easy to catch the new employees that are just starting in, and helps keep keep existing employees kind of you know refreshed with the information and allows us to add new trends that we're seeing in the cybersecurity landscape. So, so that's definitely the way to do it. If, if you don't want to do that or you don't want to invest in that, then having any type of cybersecurity training program, you know, one, once a quarter at a minimum is better than not doing anything. Uh, and and that's that's the biggest takeaway with that is is do something rather than do nothing. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I'm glad you brought that up, Carrie, about the, the test emails. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody passed that test, and we have remedial training for, <laughs> for those. You get a you, you get a notice that says you have to go on and uh, re-go re through our, our, our training. And, and what's really kind of cool, and, and, and it seems to me that email is one of the easiest ways to get a virus into your system. Uh, you know, we have these, these phishing alert buttons that we can – that we've adopted that can send it to our to IT and say, hey, is this malicious? And it's amazing. It must be at least once a day, if not twice a day, I'm sending those off. And when you know it, there's there's somebody trying to get me to click on something to go somewhere. And you know, my my whole thing is when I get an email from a from anywhere, if there's a link in it and I'm kind of expecting I should have been able to click that link, I'll go to the website, type in the website and go there myself as opposed to going through a link just in case because I, i'm always fearful that that you know link is going to come up and somebody's going to be laughing at me and saying haha you're out of luck now you know so that's that's kind of a scary thing that is well, scary. Yeah. So, so if somebody does click a bad link you know what's next what should they do next at that point well that that, that would depend a lot on on the corporate the business's policies but ideally, there's already a response plan in place. For James Moore, for example, if somebody clicks a link and says, hey, I shouldn't have clicked that, the first thing they do is contact our internal IT department and let them know I clicked this link. That way, the IT department can get ahead of it. It may be nothing. It may be, be you know, it may be legitimate. But on the other hand, with, with, a, with a virus, it's a lot like a snake bite. You know, many people have heard that when it comes to like a rattlesnake bite, you know, minutes matter, same type of thing. The sooner IT can get in and start looking at the problem and either make sure that it was nothing or if it was something bad, they can start mitigating it, the less damage to your overall environment they can do. So you always want to contact your IT and get them involved anytime you suspect something is odd. And sometimes it's not apparent. You know, we, we all we all at some point has clicked an email and opened an attachment and it looks like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Well, that nothing happening could be the virus launching in the background. Mm. Or it could be nothing. It could just be a glitch. The problem is, is we don't know until we start digging into it and start looking. So mm -hmm. anytime you deal with that, you, you, are, you always have to contact IT. And Mike, you're absolutely right. You know, the example you gave is exactly why we want to do the, do the ongoing training. We want people to stop for a second and just pause and say, hey, is this legitimate? Could this be bad? Let, let me go to the website on myself and let me check for myself, you know. If, if you get an email from Bank of America, even if they are your bank, most likely they're not going to email you. Just go to Bank of America yourself. Right. Yep. Well, I think, Carrie, I think we always 
from the IRS perspective, they're not going to generally send you, well, they're not going to send you an email. They're going to send you a letter, right? So that's something we always warn against as well. Absolutely. Um, Just switching gears real quick here uh, for a second. Now, you know, what about employees working remotely? So it could be, you know, we've, we've, We've had employees, like I mentioned early on, we've had employees working remotely for years and decades. You know, you got salespeople working out there. They may have their laptop. They might have any sort of, you know, designs, technical designs, things like that. Now with the pandemic, we we still have people working from home using their home-based network or internet and, you know, logging in through some sort of VPN perhaps. Is, is there any suggestions there to make, to, to, continue this idea of security and make sure there's not a threat from that perspective? Certainly. Mobile workforces, people working from home, definitely adds a whole new level of challenge to securing and protecting your business information. Um, But there are are some things that we can do that's not that challenging to do when you think about it. So one of the biggest ones for any remote workforce is establishing some form of multi-factor authentication tool. What that means is when you go to log in to your computer, when you go to log into your application, um, you not only punch in your password, but then it asks for something else. You know, you know this could be a six-digit PIN that gets texted to your cell phone. This mm-hmm. could be a, a digital key fob that you have that, that the number changes every 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Something to, to, to have a next step that, that's really difficult to break into and, and, and to hack into in the timeframes given so that if your password gets stolen or compromised, the bad guy still can't get in. Along with that, you also want to be very careful who you allow remote access to. You know, because of, because of the pandemic, almost everybody's been given remote access. But as people start coming back into the office, you know, we, we as business leaders need to think, hey, does this person still need the ability to remote in to do their job? If they don't, remove that ability. Other things that we can do is establish a zero trust policy. Well, okay, I, I know who this user is. I, I, I know they take care of things, but you know what? Let's not let them use their home computer. Let's issue them a computer that we have our business controls established on it, our antivirus, our security policies, our VPN connection, something that we can monitor. That way we can help manage and control the situation as much as possible to make sure that, that we can reduce that risk. Th- those are probably the biggest ones that we can look at. Great. So we talked a lot about security, um, but what about availability and making sure that our email or our website or you know any, any part of our cloud, you know, it's all accessible and available to us when we need it? That's actually a great question. Hey, here's where things look a little bit different for us. Um, most of everything we spoke about already has been things in our building, uh, you know, right, right there, on the, right, right there in, your, in your place of work. When we start talking about websites and email, these are two areas that, that I would actually suggest move them off site. You know, move your website to a well-established, mature hosting provider. You know, don't, don't, don't look at the, the um, you know, develop your free website for low cost. Look, look, look at somebody that, that has been doing it for a while and talk to them and ask them, hey, if I put my website here, how are you protecting it? Are you backing it up for me? Are you patching the web servers on a regular basis? Do you have a service level, agree- service level agreement that promises you're going to guarantee me how many nines of uptime? Um, 
who's who's going to manage it, who's going to manage the security on it? What ask them what responsibilities do I have as the owner versus you as the as a hosting provider? And and if, and if their answers don't make sense or don't bring you comfort, look for somebody else. And obviously, if you if you're not sure whether they do or not, then then you need to involve your IT in those conversations. Now, when it comes to email, a lot of the same thing still applies. Uh, move your email to the cloud. We frankly prefer the Microsoft Office 365 solution because it's an it's an enterprise class email system with all of its enterprise class protections and all the enterprise class capabilities for a fairly inexpensive cost. So so we direct people there most of the time because it because it's easy to get into and they do have SLAs and they do have protections in place. Now they don't back up your data, so if you're moving in that direction, you need somebody to back up your data just to protect it. But but that's really the way to go. Get those pieces outside of your building. Well, Curtis, thanks. We're, we're starting to um, wind down here with a just a short amount of time left. But any any last any idea of innovative technology, anything out there that you would say, hey, this is the first thing that comes to mind that everybody needs to be thinking about right now. Just just top it top of your head. There's something out there that somebody could find really, really useful in their in their environment. The, 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 the two biggest things uh, to, to be looking at, I've already mentioned one of them, multi-factor authentication. Super mm -hmm. strong, but it's also not widely adopted. Mm -hmm. Definitely needs to be adopted very quickly. Um, the, the, the next thing to look at, the, the, again, not a lot of businesses do, is, is adopting the zero trust policies. And, and it's as much as a mindset as anything else. If you look at zero trust as a whole, and you can and you could you could Google that and, and, and read the synopsis of it, when you adopt that type of mindset and you implement those procedures inside your organization, you increase your safety level tenfold. Great. Hey Curtis, thank you so much for this is just a super important topic. You just in, in a short amount of time you just gave so much information. You know, we know data data backups, very, very important and make sure they work and are tested. We know email and training people on how to deal with emails is important. Multi-factor authentication, uh, just just a few tips that, that came across. So, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us and for all of our listeners out there. You, there's a lot of complicated stuff. I know, you know, Curtis makes it sound really simple. But, you know, if you have any questions or concerns at any time, feel free to give us a call and talk to us a little bit more about that. Uh, again, thank you all for listening to us, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. To learn more about James Moore & Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.